All right, guys. Alex Sturgeon here, Hobbytown Hobbyplex. And uh, believe it or not, uh, finally, after saying we were going to do this for many, many months, actually, not really many months because I didn't know about the whole purchase thing until about a week before it happened. So I guess we could say one month. But several podcasting episodes, I've been like, we're going to get the owner on. We're going to get the old owner. We're going to get the new owner. And uh, we got the new owner first. So with me exclusively is the new owner of the Hobbytown Hobbyplex, John Talborg. Good to meet everybody. How's it going? Uh, it's going well. Have you ever done anything like this before? Nope. This is the first time. First time you yep. had a mic in your face and headphones on. And- I mean, I've done some public speaking, but from a, a setting like this, no, this would be the first right. time. Sweet. So this is basically right now just for the um, hardcore Plex followers, right? Okay. So we have some Patreon members and I've been looking for a way to make their Patreon membership kind of worth it, you know, other than just giving us money, which is cool and all. But uh, at the same time, I haven't really had a whole lot of stuff up. And so I wanted to start doing sit downs with people, whether it be via in person, like we are now, or even um, Skype or whatever we do with other people too. But you're the first one. Great. So what I wanted to get into was just first off, can you tell us like who you are? Yeah, so I'm from the area. Uh, originally grew up here uh, with a couple of stints living outside the state of Nebraska over the years. But other than that, I was born and raised here, went to school here. After the times away, moving away, found my way back here and and have just been here ever since. Gone through various industries, working in different industries and so forth, which was great. Uh, but I always had an entrepreneurial bent or always had a desire to work for myself for nothing more than just the excitement of it and to just try some new things, things that I would really love to do. And what I found was there were very few things that I was doing as a business owner that I absolutely had a passion for, which didn't bother me because it helped me to accomplish really what I was looking for. And that is the flexibility and the flexibility of being a business owner and what that it, it comes with a lot more headaches a lot yeah. of times, but it also comes with those rewards. And the main reward I was looking for is just bandwidth time to spend time with my family, people I care about, friends, so forth. Whereas where I was working with other people and punching a clock for them, I didn't have that flexibility. So that was what really what drove me. And then once I got into the business ownership, then it became much more than that. It became much more than just the time factor. It was also trying to make a difference in people's lives and to to the people that worked with me, that worked for me to try to better their lives and finding creative ways to do that. And I think that still is what drives me today. There's still that component of the time, but I own multiple businesses. So the more businesses you own, the more More less time, right? So really it comes down to now is trying to be the best impact that I can be with not only the people that I come in contact with every day, but also the people that work with me. So you said multiple businesses. I try to diversify. I've got my hand in property management. I've got my hand in some real estate that I own. And I have partners in that. Uh, I have my hand into an, an arborist company and then also now the Plex. And so it's diversified and my and that's intentional because if one area is just kind of muddling through, the other areas hopefully are doing really well. And if the other ones now have a downtime, the other ones are back to doing really well, but not having all my eggs in one basket, so to speak. So that's kind of been intentional. But real estate's always been something that I've been a part of because my grandfather and my uncles were always involved in real estate. So I worked with them at a young age. And so I kind of cut my teeth on it that way. And that's kind of where it all started uh, in the real estate side of things. And then and more kind of took on a life of its own from there. Do you think entrepreneurs, does it have a lot to do with family, like your upbringing? Do you think, do you think like 
because I know a lot of people that own their own businesses. My sister, she's here. She owns her own business, right? My mom, she always wanted to own her own business. So she owned a bakery for a couple of years. That was her goal. Before that, even 10 years before that, my parents owned a bakery for a little while. Before that, they were dipping into real estate. Mm-hmm. So I've always wondered if that kind of runs in a, maybe does run in a family or if it's just happens to be the fact that like the previous owner, his, his dad basically is a farmer. He works for himself, you know? Yeah. I think generationally there is a bent towards that, but I know a lot of people who come from a long line of business owners in their family and they never went into business for themselves. So I think what it is, is this combination of two things. It's one had being exposed to it Mm -hmm. at any point in your life and seeing how that kind of works. And then the individual's personality so I know people that come from a history of business ownership where some of the kids did go into a business or took over the family business. Right. And then the other half of the kids wanted nothing to do with it. They really were comfortable working for somebody and being an impact that way rather than having the the pressure and the stress yeah. of owning and there's, operating and paying. There's a level checks. of stability when you work for somebody. There is. As long as things are going well, I guess. That's true. You know, mm-hmm. so... I don't know. I've just always, I've worked my whole life. Like from, I was a carry out kid for Baker's when Baker's was Baker's mm-hmm. here in Omaha. And I was 14. Mm-hmm. And before that I had a paper route and I worked my mom. But even the paper route is a little bit entrepreneurial. Most yeah. people look at that. It's like, well, no, no, not really. I mean, you're driven by how hard you work. You're going to make more money. Or if you work less, you're going to make less money. Yeah. Um, and that's true in any job. Right. But in the paper route, you are kind of your own boss, even though you truly answer to somebody, you answer the customers. There is a little bit entrepreneurial in that. Matter of fact, yeah, I think it was Warren Buffett who started out with that. He had a paper route and that's where he started out at. You know, So there is a little bit entrepreneurial behind that, but I think mostly it is an individual based on exposure to that. Um, I come from a family, a history of family members that owned their own businesses. So mm-hmm. I grew up seeing it, but it wasn't until later that I really had the itch to want to be my own boss. Okay. So- did you have mentors in that area then, or, or do you have a person that you, that you look at as a framework for what you're trying to be? Or is it more of just, you're just driven to do that yourself, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I, as far as a true mentor where, you know, you really had somebody coming alongside you and guiding you and shaping you and, and helping you understand and navigate all those areas of business ownership. I never really had that. Not because it wasn't there, just I never asked for it. Right. And by the time I really got wanting to get into owning my own business, I was already an adult. But what I did have was people that I knew owned businesses or that I had bought the businesses from that were very good at helping me navigate okay. that new thing. So yes, in some ways there was a mentor, but it wasn't in the traditional sense. But I think there's people that have that natural bent towards entrepreneurism that have an innate desire to succeed because everything's on the line. Yeah. And so they're really driven to make sure it works because they've literally put everything on the line with their time, with their family and finances and so forth. So there's that component, but then also there's just certain things that I think people like that innately try to, they have not necessarily the answer, but they have a tenaciousness to go after, to find the answer until they get it. And then they know, or they make a mistake. And one guy told me one time, if you know, failing is not failure, it's learning. Right. So you make a mistake, hopefully it's not a costly one, but then at the end of the day, you don't make that mistake again, hopefully not, you know? Yeah. And so you've learned, and then that just kind of continues to shape you and mold you as a business owner. You said that you lived in other places. Where was that? So I uh, spent some time out in the Bay Area in California when I was single before getting married. Um, I worked for a nonprofit out there. 
And then there was some time when I spent going to graduate school down in Dallas, Texas for a little while uh, before coming back here and, and working for another company for a while. And then from that company is when I went and bought my first business. Okay. So, yeah, I moved away from Omaha for a little while. I don't know. There's something about this place. Like, I don't know about you, but when I travel, it's mainly for RC cars, mm-hmm. right? I've been to a lot of places in the United States. And every time I go somewhere, there hasn't really been a place that I've been to yet where I've been like, oh, I could totally live here full time. It's usually like, I would love to visit this place again, but then you come back. For me, I, I've been all over the world. I can think of 20 different places that would be really cool to live and I could do that, Yeah, but it's never going to be home, right? Like here's home. It's just because it's where I've always been and it's where my connections are. It's where the roots are. So I think to me, this always felt like home. Even if I was gone for a really long extended period of time, coming back here was like a breath of fresh air. So yeah, I agree with you. It's, there's something about it. It's just, it's home. You run. I do. So tell us about that. Yeah. So when I was in high school, I was a nose guard on my defensive line. So I was much bigger. I was about five, nine on a good day and about 240 pounds. And so I love sports. I played sports year round. I was, if it wasn't wrestling, it was baseball. If it wasn't baseball, it was football. And, and I, I, that's just how I was raised. I always had a love for sports getting out of high school, I knew I wasn't going to go play football. So I just started working out differently and exercising more and started dropping a lot of weight off from the football days. And then I just started picking up running lightly and then ran my first 10 K back in, I think it was 2003. And then I ran my first half marathon in 2008 and then my first full marathon in 2009. And then shortly after that, I got into the ultra running where I was running much longer distances in the mountains and trails and so forth. And that's really kind of where I found my love for running. Yeah. When Ken told me that he was selling and then he told me who, who your name and I'm like, all right, well, I got to look this guy up. So I looked your guy up and you're not on Facebook. Nope. And that's fine. Right. That's probably the best thing. Uh, but there was a picture of you running and that's, I was like, oh, I, I recognize that guy. Cause I, you would come into the store and stuff and I'm like, oh, that's that guy. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then Ken told us about your, about your running ability. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yep. So I just kind of picked it up and, you know, I'm not by far the elite level. I think I passed that up about 20, 30 years ago, but I still love to do it and I try my best. And don't you think though, that that is also the tenacity of people who own their own businesses. I think when you have a, cause that's basically, is that a hobby? You would call that a hobby or is that your, I don't know. What do you call that? The running, the running part. Uh, running is definitely a hobby. Um, but I would definitely call myself a competitor a as competitor. well. There you so, go. I mean, don't you think those two kind of go somewhat hand in hand? you can be driven to do that and you're driven the same way to own your own business, be successful with it. Yeah. Be tenacious about it. Everybody I know that runs the races that I do, probably a lot of them aren't business owners, but the intensity they bring to their training and their racing is probably manifest in many areas of their life Mm -hmm. and how they interact with their family and how disciplined they are in many ways. I, I heard a quote one time, a disciplined life is freedom. Otherwise, right. we're a slave to our feelings and emotions, which is very true. But if you're not disciplined in getting up every day and putting one foot in front of the other and going to work and earning, you know, earning a living for your family, if you're not disciplined every day to, to try to better yourself, then you are going to be a slave to your feelings and emotions because those betray us. What right. I feel today isn't necessarily what I'm going to feel tomorrow. And so I can resonate with that statement. A disciplined life is freedom because at least you are focused on what is important to you. And with a level of intensity that usually succeeds, 
no matter what success is to you. Success can be, I want to be a billionaire. Success could be, I don't care. I just want to earn my $30,000 a year and spend time with my family. Doesn't really matter what your level of success is to you is different from mine or vice versa. But if we, if we're living that as a disciplined life, then there's freedom in that. And so I think there is that when it comes to my racing and my running, and then also in business ownership, there's that, that level of tenacity that it's just, it stems from a disciplined life. And I haven't always been disciplined in my life, but yeah. you know, we kind of come into our own when we do. Yeah. Let's get into your uh, family a little bit. How long have you been married? Uh, 23 years. And how many kids you got? Two. And Two boys. They're the catalyst for this whole thing, aren't they? Pretty much. Yep. Before even the thought of buying Hobby Town was even a thought, I was coming in here all the time. I'm, you remember seeing me. I bring my boys in because guess what? They need parts for their RC cars or they were coming to buy their first RC car. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon around my family circles, uh, it went from being called Hobby Town to Money Town because right. that's where we spent <laughs> so much of our money. So uh, we literally were in there all the time and we bring them there on Friday, Family Friday race nights and they loved it. It's a great safe place for them. You've got seven, eight-year-old kids racing their cars against 40-year-old men and nobody's getting angry, nobody's kicking, nobody's dropping the F-bombs. And it's a very nice, relaxed environment. And then on top of that, our experience with all the staff there was just very easygoing and everybody was just extremely helpful and nobody was rude and it was just a, a very uplifting place. And so that's where, that's how my introduction to Hobby Town started. And actually yeah. it went even deep further back than that, back in the early 2000s when I used to do paintball with some guys. I used mm. to buy all my paintballs and supplies from the other Hobby Town down mm-hmm. there in La Vista. Yeah. So that's how it really got started. And then of course, throughout the last few years, I got introduced to Ken and on the backside of things through a mutual friend. And then we just started the discussion. Yeah, the paintball thing was was fun when it was profitable. It really went away. A lot of those places went direct, mm-hmm. and it kind of killed it. Yep. And then, and then the last thing that we did was we used to fill up C, uh, CO two tanks. Mm-hmm. But the crappy thing that would happen is the CO two tank would stop losing pressure about halfway through. Then you'd have to change tanks. Mm-hmm. So you're paying for a full tank full, and only get a half full tank and yeah. only being able to use half of it. And Ken and I and, and Tim, we just looked at it and we're like, we don't need to do this anymore. Nope. And quite honestly, I mean, like everything, it ebbs and flows, but RC has not ebbed at all. It's, it yeah. continues to be a pretty popular thing. And it's something that can be, it's generational. You know, I got a car because my boys had a car. So, yeah. you know, it's fun, something fun to do with them. Yeah. Paintball was really big there for a little while in Omaha. And then it, and then all those places sort of went away and just went away. Yeah. And it just sort of, we used to have a, a GM, Roger. And, uh, I think you might know him I actually. Do. Yeah. And he organized a couple of paintball nights, uh, during the year. And we'd all like every hobby town employee would get together and, and play paintball. It was at the place that was, uh, in the old roller rink. Yeah. Uh, cheap skate. It used cheap to be skate. called. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Down there in the basement. Yeah. You bet. That was really fun. Yeah. It is a lot of fun. Yeah. But that's how, that's how things came together for me in the hobby town. So it really essentially was that. And my motivation was mostly just because of my boys and, and their friends who saw so much joy of going there. Um, and it got even more pronounced during the pandemic where, yeah. you know, there's places to go and it was a place to go and kind of be an outlet for all this, you know, energy. And, uh, you know, it was fun. Half the time I'm just sitting there watching everybody race, which was really fun. And sometimes those nights got really late, but they just loved it. It yeah. was a blast for them. And that was kind of the the thing that kind of pushed it over the edge for me. Family Friday kind of evolved from the need to have a beginner night, basically. When I started working in 04, um, there was no off-road and there was only on-road. Then we put in the dirt track 
uh, actually where Holiday Bright Lights is. That's mm-hmm. where our first dirt track was, and that was in 2005. You know, I'd been doing it for a long time, and there's been a lot of there's been a few tracks in Omaha that have come and gone. And the problem that I always saw was they never had a place for somebody new to come. Everybody that that would show up new would always be fiercely intimidated, mm-hmm. and a lot of them wouldn't want to come back because of that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to put a stop to that. I wanted to do something different. And so that's where the Plex spec thing came from. I probably spent a week writing different names down for what to call our beginner class because I didn't want to call it beginners. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to call it novice because not, not everybody likes being called novice. You know, sure. I always thought that that was another thing. You put a novice class and well, you know, 40-year-old guy shows up. He doesn't want to be called novice. Mm-hmm. So Plex spec just sort of popped up and I'm like, oh, that's a good name. It has hobby flex in it. And then spec, there's not really anything spec about it, but it just, it just sounded cool. And it sort of morphed from there. And then Friday nights, we tried to do a nitro club racing night on Fridays and an electric on Saturdays. And we tried to make Fridays also a beginner night. Well, the parents didn't want to come bring their kids when there's a bunch of nitro around, you know, it gets smoky out there yeah. and, and it smells. And like this, this, this weekend we had so many nitro cars Sunday. I don't even remember yesterday. I like bet. we're recording this on Monday <laughs> and I got home at 3.30 a.m. in the morning because of daylight savings time that combined with all those fumes, which normally don't really bother me that much, but there was just so many nitro cars and it just lingered because there wasn't a whole lot of wind. Mm-hmm. Like the next day you feel like you, you're hung over. Yeah. So eventually we, because of the turnout for the nitro classes weren't, wasn't that great anyways, I just put a stop to it. I said, you know, let's just not do nitro anymore on Fridays. Let's just call it family Friday off-road. I've tried to come up with brand names basically for our race nights. Mm-hmm. So Tiny Tuesday, it was Flame Out Friday. Mm-hmm. Now it's Family Friday, Saturday Speed Off-Road. And it just stuck. And then it's crazy because once word got out that we no longer had Nitro Racing, our entry f- doubled for the beginner class. Well, I can see why. I mean, it, and it was a great move, brilliant move on your part to move that to Family Race Night because the name speaks for itself. Before I even bought the place, it was just that place where you could come and nobody felt intimidated. These kids will walk in, they see all these guys with their stuff spread out and they're, these guys are three times older than them, yet mm-hmm. they're out there racing against them and nobody cares how well you do. Yeah. You just go out there, you do your best. You try to in. emphasize that point. Yeah. And these kids come in and they grab a Gatorade and a candy bar and they go sit down and they laugh about how good or bad they did. They don't care. And they just get ready for the next heat. For parents... It's even more impressive because it it isn't that. It isn't that high-level competition where their kid can come out there and be in a safe environment and have access to the parts if they break their car and have a wealth of knowledge. I mean, you get kids who don't have the right tool. Guess what they do? They go to this guy over here who's got his whole tool set set up, and guess what that guy does? He freely loans it out because... Yeah. And that's the environment that it is. And I think that speaks volume to how well the Plex is done and how well you guys have managed that. I think for, for somebody who's been doing this for so long, like I have, I mean, I started in the eighties and uh, we had Rockwork hobby town when I first started and it was very popular. They had Friday and Saturday racing Friday nights. I think were an oval night. Saturdays was off road or something like that. I can't remember, but my parents were always impressed by people would help you. Generally, there's a few that, you know, would put towels over their cars and yell at you. If you came anywhere near them, most everybody then was, was helpful too. And I think, I think that's the weird thing is, I've had discussions with people before where they're, they're up there looking down through the window and they're looking down in the pits and they see guys with laptops and they think, Oh my gosh, you have to have a laptop to race. And it's like, no, they bring that so that they can watch movies. Yeah. 
It's like, why they're waiting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's not, that's, that has nothing to do with the car. And it, you, you got to explain to them that, you know, they're, they're set up there for the day. That's their little spot now. So you'll see radios, uh, laptops, usually playing movies, mm-hmm. iPads, playing games. It has nothing to do with the actual car stuff. And, and that intimidation thing was always something that I wanted to beat. I wanted to get past that with new people. And I think what's fun about the Plex is we've had ebbs and flows. So we've had some Saturdays, uh, I can think back 2016 and 17, where I was very frustrated because our Saturday racing basically just disappeared. Why do you think that was? I think there was, um, I think with RC cars, RC car racing, a lot of times you can get fed up with a certain style of racing Mm -hmm. and want to try something else. You don't necessarily want to get out. A lot of people will just get out. But a lot, of, a lot of racers will either just stop racing and take a break or they'll try something completely different. Like instead of doing 10 scale in the summertime, they'll try to race 8 scale. Well, we don't race 8 scale in the summertime. Sure. So now they're, they're going off. They're trying to find big outdoor tracks, you know, a couple hours away to race at. I think that definitely happened in 2016 and 17. Mm. But we kind of started to have a steady entry count and it was still low. I mean, we're talking like 20 entries, which for me is, is not a lot. I had to get over that when that happened. Mm-hmm. I had to be like, okay, well, I guess I get today off and I get to go spend time with Gretchen or, or Emerson or go ride my bike or something like that. So I had to kind of get over it, but it was still frustrating to me that we were not having some race days. But Fridays, Fridays were, were still there, in, even in the summertime, because you're competing against sports and you know vacations, mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff. So Friday nights, there's definitely always a dip, mm-hmm. but the last three years, especially three or four years, it's been still fairly steady. Yeah. Well, I think why so far there's two things. COVID happened, right? Yep. So COVID happened and we shut down our racing in general for about two months for that first little span of it altogether. And we limited the amount of people to 10, you know, we were trying to follow the state rules or whatever. I think that little break reminded people how special the Plex was. That's just my opinion. That would make sense. Yeah. And so that when we were back, we had to put a 75 entry limit on all of our club racing and we filled it up every time. Yeah. And it was 30 people actually. That's how many you could have according to state rules. Right. So that equaled out to about 75 entries or so. And that happened. And then as that all got relinquished, it never really dropped off. And then this last year, Saturdays dropped off a little bit, but it was still very, very steady mm-hmm. club racing wise. You know, our big events like the summer series and stuff, that's so popular now that I don't really even worry about it. In fact, I worry about it the other way. Oh yeah, I can imagine. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to have so many people here. Like it's going to take forever. What do I do? <laughs> I'm not getting out till four in the morning. Yeah. You know, so the club racing part of it, that's the strength of your race program, right? The summer series was designed to have a big event once a month that everybody from out of town who doesn't normally club race every week can come all together and meet. Sure. That's been very successful. And thanks to team associated for that, for, for, you know, being our title sponsor now for like 10 years. Yeah, that's great. But the club racing part of it, the races in between, those are the ones that I worry about. I'm like, you know, we got to be able to race the family Friday off road thing. What it does is you, you get, let's say you get 40 plex beckers, right? You capture that five to 10% of those guys Mm -hmm. and turn them into Saturday racers. That's right. So 
that's why I think we've been able to pick it up and we've, we've grown a little bit more because in 16 and 17, we were still trying to do flame out Friday Mm -hmm. too. So it was hard to get beginners to race when we changed things up a, a bit back then. I think we're seeing the benefits of that now. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's, yep. there's quite a few kids. You look at uh, Andrew Thomas, TJ Williams, uh, Daniel Bender. Those are the first three that come to my mind. They started out as Family Friday off-roader, you know, Plex Beckers. Yeah, and you now know, look at them. TJ ran a four-wheel drive rustler, Yeah, you know. So Family Fridays, man, that's that's been one of my personal favorite things. Yeah, well, and it's been successful. And, in, you know, you know we could have two or three heats of Plex Beck and nothing else. And I'm fine with that. Yeah. Cause that's what it's for. Sure. You know? So yeah. So your kids like racing. They do. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> they do it. They do it any chance they can get. And, uh, right now it's with the cars, but we'll see if it morphs into planes and boats, but I have a feeling it's going to probably stick in the car range. They really, they really enjoy that. So what was it like telling them that you just bought the Hobbyplex? Well, I couldn't say anything. I was bound by a non-disclosure for right. the longest time. And <laughs> Ken and I had multiple conversations about this. And I just told him, I said, look, I've been in this boat before. I've bought businesses under an NDA and I've also sold business under an NDA. And I, I, I said, it's paramount that this stays quiet because what if something were to happen? The cat gets out of the bag early and your employees find out by some other way other than you. And then they're asking you questions and putting you on the spot. And then anything happens that causes a clink in the deal, good, bad, or otherwise. And it just, it, it, it does not go well. And I said, so my, my commitment to is I'm, I've got it on lockdown. So nobody knew. And, but he needed to wait till he had a conversation with you guys. And so once he finally had that conversation, he texted me, said, okay, they know. And so I immediately went and told my boys and they were pretty excited. So I don't think they really grasped the gravity of it, but uh, they just thought it was pretty cool. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So now they come in, come in as often as they want to. And they said, does that mean we get to get stuff for free? I'm like, nope. no, you pay just like <laughs> everybody say, else. <laughs> I was just about to say, you still make them pay for their that's stuff. Right. Like full that's price. Right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, things aren't handed to you for free. I, no, that's I, true. I tell my boys all the time, you got to work for everything you get. So you got to go out there and you got to earn your money. You got to work for it. And um, that's just the way it goes. So so let's go back to how the process started now that we can talk about it. So you said, uh, you know, through mutual friend, you yep. had met Ken. Yep. Was it your idea to ask, hey, you ever thought about selling that? Or was it, or was there something that, you know, Ken, I know Ken had been thinking about it off and on. I think Ken had been thinking about it off and on over the years, not because he, you know, Ken's a businessman, but yeah. you know, he has other passions and, and if he could go do those other things, then it would require him not being involved. So, um, but I think that ebbed and flowed throughout the years. But for me, it wasn't even me. I didn't even know about the Plex as far as it being for sale. So it was all private, but it was a mutual friend. And I just happened to come have coffee with him one day. And I said, hey, you know, I'm looking for another deal. I mean, you're well networked. Do you know anybody that's got a business they're looking to sell? And to me, I didn't care what kind of business it was. It either had to make sense or and if it didn't make sense, I wasn't interested. He just kind of, he's like, oh, no, not really. He goes, well, there is one. And that was Ken in, in Hobbytown. He goes, but I, I'll have to get updated numbers and and ha- and ask if he's you know still wanting, interested in having this conversation, which he did. And so then I signed the non-disclosure and then we had our first conversation. But that happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. And just through a series of events, it just didn't come together as you know very fast. And then we got more serious about it in May of last year talking about it more and more and then just throughout the process of you know kind of crossing every team nodding every eyes do you think the COVID thing 
had something to do with that because you would think it'd be the opposite. I mean, as soon as the, the, the shutdowns happened, even in Nebraska where it wasn't that bad, we got crazy busy. Yeah. Like, it was like Christmas type sales for like a year. Yeah, I think I think that probably had something to do with it. There was a lot of a lot of the reasons why it didn't come together quicker wasn't all on Ken's side or on my side. It was a combination of both because of my other businesses that it, it just the timing wasn't really well set. But that wasn't something that was deliberate. It wasn't deliberate to push it off. It was more yeah. of like it just naturally happened, but we always kept talking. And so then when it got, the timing started to kind of lining up well, then we started getting more serious about a, an actual definitive timeline as far as when to execute that. So I think it it, it just came together the way it was supposed to. Yeah, uh, I, I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason. So if there was a delay, he may not have liked it or I may not have liked it, yeah. but we kind of both said, okay, there's a reason for this. And then looking back, we saw all the kind of the chips falling into place the way they were supposed to. And I, I just believe it happened the way it was supposed to. How, how involved was uh, Hobbytown Corporate? Because I, I don't know any about that. I mean, it, obviously, it's a franchise. It's a franchise. So, and so you have to be approved. So yeah. you have to apply and they have to approve you. And um, I went through that process, but it was a very quick process because the timeline was somewhat short. Sure. Um, but they've been wonderful. I mean, Hobbytown Corporate, are they're some of the best people to... I've always had a little bit of a, a leeriness about franchises. It's not based on experience because I'd never owned a franchise before, but it was more based on They're just pretty hands off though. Hobby town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, within, within reason. Yeah. The standards still have to be there, right? Yeah. I mean, they have expectations that things need to be followed to, to support and to protect the brand, but by and large, they give a lot of autonomy and Bob Wilkie down there, the president of hobby town USA and, um, just all the people down there that my interaction with them, they are just been nothing, but nothing but 100% supportive, incredibly smart people. And again, it is a franchise, but they are incredibly supportive down there. What do you think so far? <laughs> it's been a month, you know, month and 10 days. I mean, because we've been pretty crazy. We've been, we've been crazy. We had that, you know, it was your idea, I think, to do the inventory reset where we had a lot of overstock. That was a, a hugely successful sale. And again, kudos to you and all the guys that supported that. You guys have just been rock stars. And then you've also, you guys have also been rock stars in just accepting me. There's always a little bit of hesitancy when you're going into a new business with employees that are already established and not only just established, but established for a long time. Mm -hmm. They've worked for that guy for the previous guy for a long time and there's loyalties there. But I think Ken did a good job of prepping you guys and you guys have done an amazing job of just giving it a chance. And for me, it was like drinking from a fire hose for the first, <laughs> first month. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty well versed in business, but I've never been in this world before. Yeah. And I, you guys are going to forget more than I'm ever going to learn, but I'm, I'm a sponge. And so I'll ask the questions and I really try to get out of your guys' way because you guys know the business so well, but it's been fun. It's been a fun first month. And like I said, there wasn't a ton of fear, but more of the trepidation was yeah. Just in how the transition was going to go with you guys. I think I think that's one of the benefits of having I guess you could call you could call Ken an absentee owner. He was there. I mean, he did a lot of work, but he sort of just let Tim and I do our thing. Yeah. You know, and and it was really almost by necessity cuz Roger left. It was a surprise. And that was in 2006. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a long time ago. But Roger was a GM and, and he had this presence, you know, where 
you know, the part-timers would never do anything out of line because Roger had this presence. And then when he was gone, it was a learning process for Tim and I to try to have that same presence, Sure, you know, and to, to keep things rolling. And obviously, you know, you learn as you go. So I think Tim and I kind of being on our own to run the store, you know, with even without too much, I guess you could call it, um, Oh, I don't even know the word. Like Ken never really had like a, a list of stuff. You just did stuff that right. wasn't even really. Well, know. a lot of it was just the fact that you guys have been there for so many years and yeah. you've watched other people, you know, what needs to be done. And yeah. so it's just kind of like it was second nature to you guys. So when there yeah. was the gap, when Roger left, that gap had to be filled and you guys filled the void and kind of divided and conquered. Yeah. So, but you know, it's evident in watching you guys work and how you guys execute on the race days, on the race weekends, on just general inventory, merchandising, all that stuff. You guys know what you're doing. So it's been a, a, a fun way for me to start learning some of that stuff by just observing. And you're there too. I like, try to be. That's, that's the, the different thing for me the last month was, was, you know, I'll, I'll pull up to come into work and your truck's there and I'm like, Oh, John's here. Mm. And so you're there for a couple hours, yeah. you know, at least minimum. And, uh, that never happened before. Yeah. And again, I just try to stay out of the way. I mean, I, I want to ask a lot of questions and I'm there for many reasons. One, first and foremost is to learn because mm -hmm. it's an entirely new environment for me. And if I'm not there, I'm not going to learn. Right. I don't necessarily have to be the expert in everything, but I want to have a general working knowledge of how things are done and how, how you guys do, how you guys go about ordering and, and, and the race nights. But I truly just try to stay out of your way when it comes to that. But talking about the inventory reset sale. I mean, I literally was a fly on the wall. I was there because I wanted to see the excitement, but I really just try to stay out of the way because you guys were doing all the interaction with customers and the merchandise was flying out of the, out the door. Yeah. And, but yeah, just try not to get in the way of the people that know how to execute it better than I do. Let's talk about the future. So obviously the Plex kind of takes care of itself, but I mean, what do you, what do you think about the other store? That's the other part that a lot of people don't, no, a lot of people come into the Plex, they don't even know we have another store. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is the Plex is really known for the racing. It's really known for the RC, right? And we have a very diversified product line there. So it's not all RC, but it's heavy RC. And then the La Vista store is kind of heavily tilted towards the modeling and the right. plastics and so forth. They'll have RC down there. And it was have. done that way on purpose. Sure. Yeah. You know? Because the two guys that work down there are way more experienced with models mm -hmm. as opposed to the RC side of things. We didn't want to have people go to the La Vista store, ask a bunch of techie RC questions, and then just feel like these guys don't know anything. Right, right. You, know? you But you walk into La Vista, you see RC there, you there's see parts there, you yeah. see puzzles, You saw, but it's heavy of uh, the modeling. So for me, there's an opportunity there. It's in a great part of town. And so over the next year, I think we're going to look at trying to put some lipstick on that store and try to make it a lot more diversified and a lot more uh, knowledge base on all things hobby town versus mm. just one area of hobby town. I think it'll definitely still have a heavy presence with modeling, but I'd yeah. love to have, you know, more people coming in there and asking questions about the RC, asking questions about gaming apps, asking questions about trading cards, asking questions about the different things that we want to bring online. Well, the good thing is you got Logan and Logan lives right down the street from yeah. Vista. Yeah. I mean, he drives up to the Plex, you know, cause he's an RC kid, mm -hmm. but, uh, we've always asked every part-timer, Hey, would you mind working at La Vista for a day? Mm -hmm. Even I've gone down there. Yeah. When I think once we, once we kind of cross the finish line on what it, that's going to look like, then I think it'll become a much more, uh, inviting place and not that it isn't now, but I, you know, I think there's things that we can do down there. Yeah. I think there's things we can do. It's just, it, it needs a, it needs a facelift. And, and so I think that's what we'll work towards. And I'd like to do that before the holidays even. Mm. So 
kind of putting the ball in motion on that end. Uh, yeah. As far as the future, I, I just want to I want to diversify our product line even more than we already have. I want to get new, exciting things in. I want to still hit a home run with what we're doing with the RC. Yeah. It's a bread and butter for us. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Plus, it's just a fun thing for kids. The gaming so. stuff, you know, I've kind of taken charge of that. And that that's a whole new learning experience. It is. It like is. I'm I have a, a neighbor, actually, who I talked to yesterday about stuff. And so now I'm going to look into figuring out how to get what he he was asking for and how popular that is. Well, it's an amazing arena. There's a lot. I grew up with a lot of friends of mine who were really into it. Mm -hmm. I never really got into that, but it's transcended generations and it's as popular today as it ever has been. And I just think it's another area that we can, because not everybody's an RC person and that's okay. We want anybody and everybody to come to La Vista or come to the Plex and feel like there's something for them right and that they're accepted there for what they're into you don't have to be an rc to come to the plex or to yeah. be into modeling to come to la vista you can come to both locations and try to find something that you could be interested in it's pretty crazy i've always looked at other hobby stores when i travel and uh i'll walk into somewhere and there's been a lot of places that's just been they say hobbies but in reality they're not it's it's just it's an rc store yeah and there's a hobby store in here in Omaha that says hobbies, but you walk in there, there's no RC stuff at all. Yeah. Which is good. But I, you know, but yeah. for us, but at the same time, you're like, oh, this isn't really a hobby store. You know? Yeah. Really. And, and the reality is if it's hobby, not everybody's into the same hobby. Not everybody, everybody loves running like I do, yeah. you know, and not everybody loves RCs, you know, so we really want to become a destination place. And I think we already are in the RC world and mm-hmm. we already are in that other store with the modeling, but there's so much more to the hobby world than just those two items. Yeah. So we want people to walk in and find something that they can really be excited about. And we want to create at both stores, make it a destination place, a place where you can want to come and you can hang out and you can spend time playing a board game. I remember a few Fridays ago, we were there and just had a few games set up on a table downstairs. That was a good idea. And you know what? Everybody's in their pits and all of a sudden those games were just put out there. And guess what was happening 15 minutes later? Kids were going over there and they're setting a game up and they're playing. Yep. And so that's what we want to do. We want to start creating those opportunities for okay, you may not be in RC, but there's this over here and come be part of it. We want to encourage you to do that. You know, and we think, you know, hobbying in general is a very healthy thing to have in your life. A good outlet. Definitely. Flying is my hobby. Flying. RC flying. Because RC cars is my job now. So RC planes is my hobby. Well, see, there you go. (laughs) And we have plenty of that too. (laughs) And I don't get to do that very often. But that's that's what I see for the future. I just see, see it growing and yeah. and trying to get more and more people to see what Hobby Town's about. We have a lot to offer, and I think there's I've come across a dozen people over the last two months that know nothing about. I was going to say, are you surprised? Did that surprise you? Like how? I think I've tried to really focus on um, using social media to get us out there, and that's that's where most of our advertising is at now. And that's helped a lot. And it, it always shocks me when somebody comes in and they're like, I had no idea this was here. Yeah, it does a little bit. But I think that stems from the fact that I've always been here and I've known about it for so long. Mm. But there's just a lot of people, unless it's plastered everywhere, you know, the social media advertising is great. Billboards were great. And yeah. I think they still somewhat are effective. But the reality is there's, I have a, a guy I know who lives a mile and a half from the Lavista store. He's been here since 2003. He knew nothing about Hobby Town and he mm. lives a mile and a half from there. So there's just a lot of opportunity for people in this town and, and beyond and the suburbs and all of that, that could really find some neat opportunities with Hobby Town. And we just, 
we need to be very cognizant to present ourselves in a way that we have something for everybody. Yeah. Um, and in doing so, that is going to spread the word to to the slogan we like to live by, and that is make free time awesome. So sure. um, if we can create those ways for kids and, and adults and parents to make free time awesome and we can become that destination place, then that's a home run for us because that's what it is. It's about kind of making that impact in people's lives. And if it's through RC or modeling or gaming or what have you, we want to make sure that we have that opportunity for people. Well, I think we're going to cut it there. I appreciate you coming down here and finally getting this in. Yeah, this was fun. So I'm excited to finally have something for our uh, Patreon guys. And, and eventually we're going to open it up. Yeah, that'd be great. To the to the regular podcasting stream. But I'd love to come back anytime. First, so this was Alex Sturgeon with the Hobbytown Hobbyplex. And uh, again, the owner of the Hobbytown Hobbyplex, John Talbert. And uh, we appreciate you tuning in.